are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Brian Peacock here on this Tuesday show with you. It's a Tuesday mailbag episode, so we'll get to all your questions. And uh, blown away by how many questions I get about the 49ers in a 7-0 season. And the fans are competitive. You guys still trying to grind and figure out ways to get this team better going forward this year and into next year. A lot of questions with the trade deadline coming up this week, so we'll get into all of that stuff on today's program. You can find this show on all of your favorite podcast apps, just like any of the shows here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock, email LockedOn49ers at Gmail. Those are the two places to get those mailbag questions in, and you can find everything you need related to this podcast at LockedOn49ers.com, including other articles like a new film room piece going up this week by Chris Wilson. He'll be looking at how Shanahan is using Jimmy Garoppolo this year. I guess we can start there with Jimmy Garoppolo. I've got a question here from Sasha who says, The eye test tells me Jimmy G is one of the most clutch third-down quarterbacks I have seen in years. Sure, he doesn't put up gaudy Mahomes-like numbers, but geez, the 49ers punter rarely sees the field. I wonder if my favorite pundits agree. And so looking at just third down conversion percentage for the 49ers, I don't have specific passing stats on third downs for Jimmy Garoppolo in front of me, but 49ers are top 10 in the league. I think they're eighth in the league for third down conversion rate. Um, And a lot of the reason we're not seeing Mitch Wisnowski on the field punting a lot is because of the running game too. So that's not all on Garoppolo, but the 49ers offense has been good at staying on the field, long sustained drives. And Jimmy Garoppolo, I think you're right. He has passed the eye test and he's been good on third downs. And they've not been putting up huge fantasy numbers on offense in the passing game, but he's doing plenty. And uh, third downs, I think, is where he's really shined. He's been good under pressure and The 49ers offense has stayed on the field and moved the ball well, and we have not seen a lot of Mitch Wisnowski punting. Uh, There's a couple other questions here about the punter situation. The 49ers have brought in some punters the last few weeks on a tryout basis, and I think most of that is just because they brought in a left-footed punter, and again, I think it was Ryan Anderson this week is the guy they brought in, and he's left-footed, and I think the 49ers want Richie James to see the punt spin in the opposite direction off of a left foot for some left-footed punters they will see this year. This week, it's going to be Andy Lee. He's righty, but uh, yeah, they're not like looking to replace Mitch Wisnowski or anything like that, I don't think. But uh, So I'm sure it's all just because Anderson's a left-footed punter. I was asked to bring up this stat. This was brought up by Al Sacco. He is one of the 49ers writers for KNBR.com, and his stats were just comparing... Matt Ryan's first 16 games in Kyle Shanahan's offense to Jimmy Garoppolo's first 16 games now. And they're pretty darn close in completion percentage and yards per attempt. Garoppolo a little bit better yards per attempt. Matt Ryan a little bit better completion percentage. More yardage for Matt Ryan, but very similar touchdown to interception ratio. Both quarterbacks, 21 touchdowns. 
16 interceptions for Matt Ryan, 15 interceptions for Jimmy Garoppolo. And again, that's year one for Matt Ryan under Kyle Shanahan. And as Al notes in this tweet, year two is when Matt Ryan went crazy in that offense. That was the Super Bowl year for the Falcons. And Matt Ryan had an MVP caliber season. So that's not to say that the next 16 games for Jimmy Garoppolo are going to be that. But it just goes to show that in Kyle Shanahan's offense, it's one that takes time. It's one that I think we're seeing everything work a lot better because guys have been in the system and Kyle Shanahan can go deeper into his playbook. And I think for Jimmy Garoppolo, even though he's been around for a long time, he still hasn't had those game reps and those practice reps missing most of last year. So there is still some, I think, a ton of development that will still happen on the offense for the 49ers because not only Garoppolo continuing to get better in Shanahan's offense, but the wide receivers getting better. Young guys developing. They've got Emmanuel Sanders in-house now. And it's scary to get back Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey and Kyle Juszczyk. That offense can get a ton better this year. And with the way the defense is playing, and the 49ers are already 7-0. And you're not looking at this team like, oh, man, they could get a lot worse if this and this happens. No, it's like, man, this team could get a lot better. And I think they will get better from here, which is scary for the rest of the league because the 49ers absolutely have to be in the conversation for one of the top teams in the NFL right now, I'd put them up against just about anybody, and people want to talk about the 49ers schedule. The New England Patriots have had an easier schedule than the 49ers so far, and, and nobody's doubting how good the Patriots are. So I don't think people should be doubting how good the 49ers are. And if nothing else, you know that that defense is for real, and that front seven is absolutely 100% for real. Jeremy wants to know what percentage of Kyle Shanahan's playbook do we think we've seen so far? I still haven't seen the play ran with Goodwin against L.A. in 2018, Week 17, where Marquise Goodwin was in the slot, came around like he was going to get a reverse, but turned back to the sideline. Jimmy G lofted the ball to him over the defensive end, and he scores. Jeremy, it's a good point. I remember that play. That was a fun one. And to answer your question, I have no idea what percentage of Kyle Shanahan's playbook we've seen. I think uh, he's gotten deeper and deeper into it this year. I'm sure there's a ton of stuff we haven't seen yet. And I think there's some stuff that doesn't even exist yet because he really game plans specifically for the team that the 49ers are going up against. There was the play against the Browns. It was something he saw on tape during the week. He knew that if he put Kyle Juszczyk in motion, that the linebackers were going to overplay the strong side of the formation there. And then they came back with that counter and hit a big play. Um, and... It just worked to perfection, and so I'm sure there's tons of stuff like that that he sees that he dials up and maybe tweaks something that he already does because he wants to attack an opponent in a certain way, you know, if it's a, a defense that's zone-heavy or man-heavy. So, yeah, I'm sure there's tons of stuff we still haven't seen, and with trick plays like that, you don't want to overuse them either because then they're, they become super easy to defend. And so I have no idea what percentage of the playbook we've seen, but I'm sure there's tons of stuff we will continue to see that we haven't seen quite like it yet from Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers offense going forward. And a good example of that actually was, so this week on defense, Emmanuel Mosley jumping that curl route. If I was an offensive coordinator, I was watching that 49ers game, I would say, okay, this is a smart football player. He's done his homework. He knows that you know, there's the flat slant or the flat curl combination happening there. Most of the time, as Richard Sherman laid out after the game, talking about that play by Mosley, let's run that at him, but let's run a different play, maybe a little uh, hitch and go, or 
maybe just run something else off of that, another route to try to get Emmanuel Mosley to try to jump a route like that, but we hit him deep instead because we're going to use his aggressiveness against him. So there's just little things like that that you see one time, and it's like, oh, it gives you an idea. It's like, okay, we can run the guy in the slot into the flat, and we know that Mosley is going to expect something inside breaking, whether it's a slant or a curl, we can use that against him and maybe hit him with something else. And so that's the chess match that goes on in the NFL, and that's what makes this stuff super fun and why every game is so different. More mailbag coming up. We've got some trade rumors, or at least one trade rumor that I think we must address next. This podcast is brought to you in part by Peloton. Can't find a workout that keeps you engaged? Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real-time features that will always keep you coming back. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED to get started. As a true football fan, you already know, just as sure as the seasons change, Tom Brady will keep the Patriots in the game, and so will also unbeaten Jimmy Garoppolo, I might add. Every weekend, our favorite gridiron warriors put their skills to the test, so why aren't you doing the same? We're almost halfway through the NFL season, so now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in the game with my bookie. My bookie is the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every weekend. They always have the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sports book on the planet. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and bet with the best at my bookie. If you like to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay, pick your locks for the week, put them together in one parlay bet, and when they all come out together on top, the rewards will be huge. The best part is, if you join right now, my bookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in $1,000, they'll give you $1,000 to bet at my bookie. That's double your initial deposit you can use on all your favorite picks. Use promo code locked on to activate the offer. That's promo code locked on to double your first deposit. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Let's go to Dominic, who asks, C.J. Beathard for Taylor Gabriel. Is this for real? And there was multiple questions about this trade rumor that came down, and Adam Schefter, I believe Adam Schefter was on a Chicago radio station, and he specifically said that he could see something like, he didn't say it was something that he thought was imminent or that was happening. He wasn't breaking news, but he said he thought it would make sense if there was a deal like C.J. Beathard for Taylor Gabriel between the 49ers and Bears. Gabriel's been someone who's played with Kyle Shanahan before and the Bears having some really, really bad quarterback play. I don't know if the Bears would think that C.J. Beathard would be their savior and come in and play better than Chase Daniel and Mitch Trubisky at some point this year. A quarterback trade would have made sense, I think, for the 49ers uh, or for a team that was trying to get a quarterback from the 49ers early or before the season where they could get that quarterback incorporated with whatever offense you're running. And someone like, you know, the Broncos preseason made a ton of sense because they didn't have a lot of depth there with their rookie quarterback, Drew Locke, being hurt. And now maybe that makes less sense. But Adam Schefter did have a report saying that teams have talked to the 49ers. He said, here it is, and it, the, the wording is interesting here. I don't know if we're looking too much into this, but Schefter tweeted out, 49ers have gotten inquiries on backup quarterback C.J. Beathard, a name that bears some watching at the trade deadline. A name that bears 
some watching during the trade deadline. Maybe the Chicago Bears are hot on C.J. Beathard's trail. I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out 4 p.m. Eastern Tuesday when the trade deadline hits if C.J. Beathard is still a 49er or not. I don't think compensation would be huge. I think the 49ers would much rather have a draft pick than Taylor Gabriel right now unless they're really just trying to overhaul the entire wide receiver group. But you bring in Gabriel, then you got to cut a guy. And I don't know how much better Gabriel is going to be than what the 49ers already have. I think um, it would make sense if you brought in somebody who you thought was no doubt a starter and better than everybody else aside from, you know, maybe Emmanuel Sanders. But I think when it comes to Taylor Gabriel, it'd be much more wise to stick with Debo Samuel and Dante Pettis, let those guys develop. Uh, hopefully Marquise Goodwin comes back soon and, and we start to see him play a little bit more like we did a couple years ago. You still have Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd potentially coming back. So uh, unless it's a big time player, like, you know, a lot of people have talked about uh, Josh Gordon, if he does get released from IR by the Patriots after the deadline, and maybe he's someone that the 49ers could claim and pick up. And, uh, you know, I would understand that would make some sense. Big physical guy like that could make an impact for you, you know, or if they decided to make another big trade for someone like AJ Green, I guess I guess I could see them going in that route. But to me, Taylor Gabriel at this point doesn't really move the needle and doesn't really add too much for the 49ers offense would much rather be asking for a draft pick for C.J. Beathard. And I would imagine it's not going to be a high pick. I Maybe you could squeeze a fifth rounder out of somebody, but my guess is teams aren't offering more than a sixth or maybe a combination of things. The 49ers have a couple extra fifth rounders now. Maybe a second player could be involved so the 49ers could up that and try to get more of a mid-round pick and get a third or a fourth back with some sort of a package deal. That would be, I think really high for what C.J. Beathard has shown he is so far in the NFL, and it just seems like the 49ers think more highly of C.J. Beathard than probably some other teams would because I don't know what evidence a team would have. And, you know, Rich Scangarello, who was the quarterback's coach, had worked with C.J. Beathard, cause, so I could see him being like, oh, man, I love C.J. Beathard, love working with him. I think we could do something there. But if you were an outside team looking in, like the Chicago Bears, would the Bears really look at C.J. Beathard, the third-string quarterback on the 49ers, and say, oh, man, let's get this guy in. He's going to save our season and be the starter, even though he doesn't even know the offense, and it's week eight. I don't know. I can't see that. But maybe, you know, for a long-term developmental type, they like him, and you bring him in and just bring him into the mix and have him compete. Who knows? Linus asks, do you think trading or releasing Sherman after the season could help keeping Eric Armstead? Rolling the dice with Witherspoon, Mosley, and maybe a draft pick combination at cornerback next year. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a little bit too early. And with the way Sherman's playing, too, I would think I would let Armstead walk before Sherman. Because if you re-sign Armstead, that's going to be a significant cap number. And Sherman's a guy that you could get out from under his contract at some point in the near future. With the other players you might have to sign on this team... I just don't think Eric Armstead makes sense. And I got a lot of questions about Armstead. And Armstead's getting a ton of love right now in Ninerland. And people love the production they're seeing from Eric Armstead right now. And it's warranted because he's flat balling. And some people even saying, uh, I don't know if I saved the tweet here, but uh, one listener said that, and maybe it's blasphemous, that maybe Eric Armstead, who could potentially be signed for less, should be the guy you keep around rather than DeForest Buckner. 
one question about what would the franchise tag cost for Eric Armstead. So what would that contract look like? What would it look like if the 49ers tried to keep Eric Armstead? Uh, this is Leonard that asked the question. I don't know about the actual long-term contract offer. I know that if you're talking about a defensive end and what the franchise tag would be, which is the average of the top five salaries at the position for one year, that'd be 15 plus million dollars for next year for Eric Armstead. Just as a franchise, he's already making $9 million this year as you know a fifth-year option player. It gets expensive already, so he's already making a nice bit of change. Maybe Clays Campbell would be someone that the contract that you would compare Eric Armstead to when he hits free agency, you know, at the top end of a deal he could sign. And right now, Stephon Tuitt maybe, similar types of players. I think both those guys had a little better track record, more years of high-end play before they hit free agency. Clias Campbell's salary cap value per year is $14.5 million. So that'd be just just a little bit south of what he would get for a one-year franchise tag deal. I just, I don't know. I can't see it. I can't see the 49ers prioritizing Armstead over Buckner. And I can't see the 49ers spending on both of them. So at this point, I just think Armstead has to walk. And that's the way it's going to be. And we'll see. I mean, he's been dogged by injuries throughout his career. He's still got to finish the year healthy. He still has only played seven games, and they've been an awesome seven games. And you could argue he's been the best defensive player so far this year for the 49ers. There's a few other candidates in that category. But to me, with all the depth the 49ers have on the defensive line, Armstead is the player that you probably just have to let him walk. Maybe he signs a huge deal with another team, and you get a late third-round comp pick in 2021 for him. And I think that's just the way it's going to have to go with Eric Armstead. But things could change. Maybe there's a ton of interest, and they can even tag and trade him. Speaking of Armstead and Buckner, Andy says, Love the podcast. Thank you, Andy. As much as I love all the attention Bosa is getting, how much of that is created by the Oregon trees in the middle? Go Niners. I think... It's all working together. Right now, that relationship with the 49ers defense is all just all positive, all good things. Everybody helping each other out. Defensive linemen helping each other out. The depth there is allowing them to bring more guys in. Everyone's staying fresh. Um, The defensive tackles are good, so that helps the defensive ends. The ends are good, so that helps the defensive tackles. You've got guys moving around there. The linebackers are kept fairly clean so they can go do their thing and fly to the football. Obviously, all of that pressure on opposing quarterbacks has really helped the secondary. So everything just really working together. And Bosa is definitely getting helped out by those Oregon trees, but the the trees are also getting helped out by Bosa and Ford coming off the edge, which wasn't happening last year. And I think what we're seeing with DeForest Buckner, who maybe isn't going to put up the 12 sacks that he did last year, I think it's because he's getting beaten to the quarterback sometimes, and nobody was beating him to the quarterback last year. It's a race to the QB right now. Last week, it was Bosa getting there three times and Armstead getting there twice. I'm sure there's going to be weeks when Buckner gets there a couple times and he beats the outside guys there, depending on you know who's blocking him. So uh, they're just it's just a beastly defensive line right now, and everybody's helping everybody, and right now it's it's just a race to the quarterback. David says, do they keep School or Coleman as the swing tackle back up next year, or do they trade Coleman after the season and grab a tackle with their first-round pick? 
I think Coleman's a free agent anyway, right? And he's had a lot of injuries in his career. I got to believe they're going to go with the guys they, they've plugged in already this year. And Coleman didn't even play last year. So we don't know how good Coleman would have been the way that School and Brunskill have played. I think the 49ers is going to stick with those guys, maybe add a draft pick into the mix. But at this point, I don't see why they would bring Coleman back because he's less proven than these guys that we've seen so far in 2019 now. Jeremy wants to know about Joe Woods. He says, seems like Woods should be getting much of the credit for improvements on the defense this year. D-line is way better with the additions of Ford and Bosa, but the secondary, which was awful last year, is top-notch now with the same group. Also, we should trade our first-round pick for 10 fifth-rounders. Yeah, I mean, hey, if you can get 10 George Kittle-type players with those fifth-round picks... By all means, do it. And I think the 49ers will be trading out of that first-round pick if they get any uh, takers in April. If uh, if it's if it's still uh, in April and they don't have a second, third, or fourth-round pick, I think that would just be smart, and they'll definitely have that pick up for sale. But uh, to your point, Joe Woods deserves a ton of credit. Absolutely. And we're seeing less confusion in the secondary I think that's the key I don't know if he made guys stickier in coverage Uh, and obviously I talked about already how the defensive line definitely helps you just can't gloss over how much that's helping so Chris Kosurik there the wide nine front having more talent again all these things working together but Joe Woods is doing a fantastic job I think Joe Woods would be the number one name on the list if Robert Sala left in the offseason for defensive coordinator that secondary is absolutely playing well and that's I think that's one of the big things with the coaching staff right now for the 49ers. Offensive line coach, defensive backs coach. When you get young players who have never started before, they get plugged in when some important veterans get hurt and they're out of the lineup, and you can almost not tell the difference with the backups. That's a well-coached football team, and right now the 49ers are extremely well-coached on both sides of the ball. Coming up, we'll finish up this mailbag. Got some questions about wide receivers, Bosa, all kinds of stuff. To Dan on Twitter, who says, Are you worried with it being a short week of any type of a letdown game? Do you think Mostert gets more carries with Brita and Wilson banged up? Yes, Dan. I think Mostert would definitely, and we haven't seen, I don't think there's been a single game where the lead back got more than like a dozen carries. It's always very close. It's, you know, 11 for Brita and 13 for Coleman, or 12 for Brita and nine for Coleman, and six more for Mostert. It's always been pretty close, especially with the top two backs, and so I think it's just going to continue to be that way, and I think it's smart. I think it keeps them fresh, and we've seen them work really well together as a committee. Different guys stepping up each week and having big weeks. We've seen huge weeks from Mostert, huge weeks from Brita, and now a huge week from Coleman last week. So, absolutely, Mostert will be the number two guy, and I would imagine that he gets nearly as many carries as Coleman if that were the case especially I mean and here's the other good thing is so it's a, it's a short week but even though Coleman had four touchdowns last week he only had 11 carries so it's not like he's worn down because of all the usage so I think that's one of the keys to keeping these guys fresh and I love that the 49ers have been able to do that and run the ball well hopefully that breed of ankle thing and I haven't really heard any more about it since he left the game if it's serious or not Hopefully it is not, and I think we probably would have heard more about it if it was more serious. 
Kevin says, hello, what do you think of DeForest Buckner's season so far? I see him around the ball still, but don't hear him getting talked about as much with Bosa and Armstead going off. And Trevor says, I know uh, Bosa is a friggin' beast, but why aren't people talking more about Armstead? Uh, yeah, so a lot of questions about Armstead, a lot of love there. I kind of mentioned it a little bit ago. DeForest Buckner having a fine season. He's still a monster. He's still a beast. Uh, it's definitely not like uh, he's having a bad year or anything like that, but I think it's just there's so many good players around him. He's getting beat to the quarterback now when that wasn't the case in previous seasons. So Buckner's still grading out well, looking at the PFF numbers, just only three sacks on the air. So he just doesn't have as many sacks as a couple of the other guys, but he's still a monster. He's still in on a ton of plays. And I think there's been plays where if Bosa wasn't on the field, it might've been a DeForest Buckner sack instead. Noel wants to know who I'd bring back from IR. Trent Taylor or Jalen Hurd only can choose one. He also says that he thinks Street deserves to come back also. Yeah, you know, I don't know where Street is at. Contavious Street, I get the feeling he's not coming back and might be done for the year. Maybe precautionary, maybe because the 49ers have so much depth and you have Julian Taylor who deserves to play and he's inactive and a healthy scratch some weeks because they have so much depth on the defensive line. So don't need to rush Street back if he's ready to come back. Do you want to get rid of the other guys that are on the defensive line or do you want to get him fully healthy and see what you have with Street next year? I don't know. But the 49ers could bring two guys back. If you had to pick one of those wide receivers, I'd have to imagine it's going to be Trent Taylor. He's the guy that was looking like he might be the number one target in the passing game for the 49ers as far as wide receivers go based on offseason workouts and how he looked in training camp before the injury. Jalen Hurd might be a little bit more of a longer-term project. I mean, he had, I think people may be overrating one preseason game and two, literally two catches from Jalen Hurd in the preseason, and I know it was fun, and uh, he's got some size. He's a little bit of a different guy, but I don't know. He's got a fracture in his back, so you got to make sure that thing is 100%, and probably it will depend on who's healthiest first that they will be the guy that that gets brought back. But if you had to choose, I just think Taylor would make more of an impact now. I mean, I'd love to see both of them back, but it's pretty crowded right now at wide receiver after you add in Emmanuel Sanders to the mix. Benny asks, is there any offensive line that could contain the hashtag smelting crew? (laughs) If so, would it even matter with our other defensive groups playing at such a high level? Smelting crew, huh? I don't know. I don't know about smelting crew. Where did that come from? I mean, yeah, the 49ers are trouble. They're going to be tough for any offensive line that they face all year. I mean, that's just flat out going to be the case unless there's a bunch of injuries and Bosa and Armstead, D Ford's knee starts to get worse. I mean, it would be catastrophic, I think, for that defensive line to not be playing super well because they could even miss a guy or two and still play at a high level because they're so deep on the defensive line. Uh, Benny, I got I don't know about smelting crew for that nickname for the defensive line, but yeah, no, I don't know if there's any offensive line that could definitely contain them, but there, you know, there's some teams that could play them a little bit tougher, so I don't think it's just going to be a breeze the rest of the year or anything like that for the 49ers to just run the table and go 16-0 just because they've got a great defensive line. Let's see here. Sting like a bee on Twitter. Assuming the 49ers maintain this pace and win the conference, would they have a legitimate MVP candidate? I don't know, man. I think most of their 
most valuable players would come from the defensive side of the ball at this point. I think uh, Nick Bosa would probably get the most postseason votes for you know rookie of the year, defensive player of the year potentially on offense. Looking at the quarterback, Garoppolo hasn't put up the numbers. I think you know Aaron Rodgers in the NFC would get votes. Um, Russell Wilson would get votes over someone like Garoppolo. Maybe if one of the running backs goes off the rest of the year and gets a bulk of the carries, but I don't see that being in the cards either. Maybe George Kittle could be the guy, but I mean, a tight end MVP, that would be that would be something. Um yeah, I don't I don't know if the 49ers have a true MVP candidate. That's interesting. They could end up being the best team in the league and not have an a true MVP candidate if things statistically play out the same way for the next nine weeks. Let's finish this off with Michael. He has a couple of questions. I kind of already talked about the Bosa, Buckner, Armstead stuff, and he's asking how Bosa's success might hurt Buckner's stats but help the 49ers maybe get a little bit more of a discount or leverage on the Buckner future contract, and I could see that argument. One of the things with Buckner, though, is you would have to make a decision on guys like Armstead or the first part of Michael's question here is where do you slot Emmanuel Sanders in in terms of re-sign priority? You have to sign those free agents first just because timing-wise, you have to to get those deals done. Then you start talking it's extensions for the guys who are already here and, and Buckner's not in danger of leaving this offseason. So they can wait on that contract. They can get a Buckner deal done in the summertime or something like that. But maybe they do make some calls to Buckner. And maybe there is a little bit something to that where they call Buckner and Buckner's agent throws out some stupid Aaron Donald money and the 49ers think, wow, maybe we could get Armstead for a lot less and we'll just play out next season with both guys. And then you have to let Buckner walk instead of letting Armstead walk this year. I mean, I could see an argument for that. I don't think that's the way it's going to go, but I could see that, I guess. And Sanders... I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how Sanders looks the rest of the year. I would not have thought when they signed him or when they traded for him that he'd be high priority. But if he's an impact guy for the 49ers, he might have enough left in the tank at 32 years old and not cost a ton of money that, yeah, you bring him back and and keep him around for one more year, two more years while you develop the other guys around him. Okay, out of time here. Good stuff, everyone. Thanks to everybody. Got a ton of mailbag questions here. I didn't hit many emails. I'll try to hit some of those on Thursday with Wink when we preview that Arizona Cardinals Thursday night football game. And speaking of the Arizona Cardinals, we will have a crossover for you Wednesday right here, Locked on 49ers.